Hey, what's up, coaches? Welcome back to your favorite defensive line podcast. It has been way too long since we got together. So thank you for joining us on this first episode of 2021 and season three of KYPD. Today marks our 88th episode as we uh, rapidly approach the two-year mark of this podcast. So thank you so much to all of you who check us out each week. And if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. So we took the month of December off from this podcast and uh, enjoyed some time you know, with, with, with family, had a great, had a great Christmas and, and, and New Year. Uh, I got to relax a lot, which was nice, but was also hard at work at looking at ways to make this podcast better. And you know, we have some changes coming uh, in this new year that I think you're going to like. Now, if you follow us on Twitter, you already know about these changes, beginning with our brand new logo that we rolled out uh, earlier in December. I, I think it looks really sharp. I want to thank Coach Dash Verstegen for creating that for us. You know, coaches are a talented group of dudes, and there are a lot of coaches out there who do a great job creating graphics, and Coach Verstegen is one. So if you're in need of any graphic design work, give him a holler. You can find him on Twitter at Coach Verstegen. Uh, that's at Coach, V-E-R-S-T-E-G-E-N. Let him know Coach Taylor from KYPD sent you. Okay, so that's the first upgrade we've made over the break, our, our new logo. Next, I am excited to announce that we finally have a merch store where you can go and pick up your favorite KYPD swag. Talking t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, uh, decals, and a whole lot more. So check out our Twitter feed for the link to, to our merch store, or you can find that link in the show notes of this episode. Next up, coming this spring, fingers crossed, we're launching a website where you can access all of our episodes and also find written content for myself and other coaches geared towards defensive line play. So that's coming later this spring, so be on the lookout for that. And finally, maybe the thing I'm most excited about is our partnership with GoEdit Graphics, who will sponsor our podcast for Season 3. Now, what is GoEdit? Well, are you a coach that wants custom graphics for your team's social media accounts? Then GoEdit Graphics allows any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. The platform is easy, affordable, and no design skills are needed. GoEdit Graphics is a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Now, here's something cool that GoEdit is doing for listeners of this podcast. Mention Keep Your Pads Down and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. You can check out at GoEditGraphics on Twitter to see the custom graphics coaches are already creating and request a quick 10-minute demo on GoEditGraphics.com. Also, all of the graphics we use for our podcast this season will be created through GoEdit, so you can check out our Twitter feed for examples of the types of custom graphics you can create for your athletic program. If you're like me and you're a recruiting coordinator for your staff and looking for a way to promote your athletes and program online, then GoEdit is a great tool for that. So go and check them out and let them know you heard about them here on KYPD and get $25 off your showcase yearly package. Okay, so as you can see, there are a lot of positive changes we've made in regards to this podcast, but let's, let's talk about what's not changing, okay? Uh, first, as I mentioned already, we are unapologetically a podcast made for defensive line coaches. And most of our episodes will be geared towards helping defensive line coaches learn more about strategy, technique, and the finer points of D-line play. I mean, if you're a D-line coach, I want you to feel like this is your podcast. This is your home. This is where your dudes are. 
However, if you are a regular listener to this podcast, you know that we will occasionally step out of, of, of you know, talking defensive line play specifically and, and bring on guests or discuss topics that run parallel to the interests of the guys who tune into this podcast. And those episodes will, you know, will appeal to not just defensive line coaches, but really all coaches uh, and anyone in position of leadership, really. So none of that is changing as we kick off season three. We have some outstanding guests lined up for you in the coming weeks, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear those. So speaking of that, today I'm honored to be joined by one of the best defensive line coaches in the business, and that's not just clinic talk because his work speaks for itself. Today we welcome on Coach Craig Kuligowski, currently the co-defensive coordinator and outside linebackers coach at the University of Toledo. Coach Cool was announced as Toledo's assistant head coach, co-defensive coordinator, and outside linebackers coach on January 30th of 2020. A former offensive lineman, Coach Kuligowski was a two-time first-team all-max selection during his playing career as a Toledo Rocket. Coach Cool was Toledo's tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator from 92 to 93 and served as tight ends and offensive line coach from 94 through 95 and was a Rockets defensive line coach from 96 to 2000. The Rockets won a MAC title in 95 and a MAC West division crown in 97 and again in 98. Coach Cool followed former Toledo head coach Gary Pinkle to Missouri, serving as a defensive line coach with the Tigers from 2001 through 2015. He coached nine first-team all-conference defensive linemen during his tenure with the Tigers and produced one of the best defensive lines in the country in 2013. That season, Missouri led the SEC with a school record 44 sacks and allowed a conference low 300 yards per game in conference matchups. Missouri won three Big 12 North Division crowns and two SEC East titles during his tenure. After he left Missouri, Coach Cool spent two seasons at Miami, Florida, serving as an assistant head coach and defensive line coach in 2016 and 2017. In 2017, Miami ranked among the nation's leaders in several defensive categories, including top in the nation in team sacks, third nationally in tackles for loss and turnovers gained, eighth nationally in fumbles recovered, and ninth in the nation in opponent yards per play. The Hurricanes were 19-7 and in coaches two seasons there, winning the ACC Coastal Division in 2017. After his two seasons in Miami, Coach Kuligowski moved on to Tuscaloosa, where he served as the associate head coach and defensive line coach under Nick Saban for the Alabama Crimson Tide in 2018. Under Coach Cool, the Crimson Tide ranked in the top 20 nationally in sacks, scoring defense, and total defense. He helped Alabama to a 14-1 record and a berth in the college football playoff championship game. Coach Cool grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and played offensive line at Toledo, where, as I already mentioned, he launched his coaching career as well. Today, Coach Cool and I discuss his journey through the college coaching ranks, and then we get into pass rush philosophy and, and discuss how he teaches pass rush to his guys, including some of his favorite drills for getting after the quarterback. Also, Coach Cool gives us his pick for tonight's national championship game between his former team and the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Ohio State Buckeyes. All of that and a whole lot more on this season three premiere, so let's get to it. Here is Coach Craig Kuligowski on episode number 88 of KYPD. Coach Cool, first of all, Happy New Year to you and welcome to the podcast. So glad you're joining us today. Well, I'm happy to be here. Happy New Year to you and everybody there and everybody listens to the podcast. It won't be too hard for 2021 to be a little bit better than 2020, but 
Hopefully it will be. Absolutely. When I, when I talked with people, uh, and then when I've talked to people the last few days about 2021, I said, you know, 2021 is kind of like the coach coming in, taking over an 0-10 program. You know, there's, there's really no way for them to go but, except up. So uh, hopefully, hopefully that's, that's what happens. But let's, let's, yeah. di- let's dive right in here. You know, you, you've, you've been at a lot of great places. Uh, you know, of course, you're coaching now at your alma mater in Toledo, uh, you coached right. in some big time ball games and, and tutored some of our games most really most dominant defensive linemen, which we'll talk about later. But let's just back up and have you tell us how your journey as a coach began. Well, uh, it's it's pretty interesting. You know, I ended up at the uh, University of Toledo, which was not far from my house. It's not like uh, I had you know a lot of knowledge about the university or any of that stuff, and I ended up going to school there just because I kind of felt like there was something, you know, felt right about going to school there. And, you know, it's kind of one of these things like, you know, you see God's path, you know, 20 years later, you see God's path in your life kind of thing. And, and, uh, but anyway, so I ended up going to University of Toledo and I played offensive line. And, uh, and then I started, and when I got done, I got a degree in accounting and I really didn't enjoy doing the debits and credits. So I, um, I thought I would more enjoy being a coach, even though I had several people at the time, and nobody at the time was really making a lot of money or any of that kind of stuff in coaching, but just kind of had the bug to do it, and I started coaching with uh, Nick Saban was the, the head coach my senior year, and he left and went to the Cleveland Browns, and Gary Pinkle came on, and Gary hired me as a uh, offensive line GA, because that's what I had played, and then I, I coached tight ends for probably four years, and uh, you know, coached you know, one of the best tight ends to ever play at Toledo. And we won the Las Vegas Bowl, the first overtime game in Division One history and all that kind of stuff. And so we went undefeated in 95. Our defensive line coach left and went to Rutgers. And all of my coaching buddies, the guys that recruited me out of high school and guys that I knew well, also they were all coaching on defense. And uh, so I thought, well, I'd like to give this defensive line thing a try. And I kind of started coaching it, you know, first year or two years and, and tried to really do, you know, the best that I could. And and then there's a guy at the Detroit Lions named John Tierlink, who is, you know, probably the best pass rush coach and probably the best defensive line coach uh, ever in the NFL. And he kind of got with our defensive coordinator at the time. And our D coordinator came back and said, this is where you're coaching defensive line. All right. I know you way did it past. That's fine. But now we're going to do it this way. So uh, I still have this playbook that I got, you know, I guess it would be like in 97 or something like that. 97, 98, somewhere in there from, from him. And I still refer to it all the time, but uh, you know, basically his, his, his big thing was, you know, we're going to rush the quarterback and stop the run on the way to the quarterback. And as like simple as that sounds, or like you know how that may not work nowadays, the, the, the basic tenet of the whole thing is you have to be aggressive. And you know, as we, as I started coaching there, we were in the four-four at the time, and we ended up having uh, like I think we were number two in the whole country in like total defense and rush defense. And uh, we had a great tailback, Chester Taylor, so we weren't on the field all that much either. I think TCU had a great defense that year, too. And so we all left and went to uh, Missouri, 
And when I went to Missouri with Coach Panko, he, uh, you know, we kept the same defense. And I coached a kid named Keith Wright, and there was another kid named Antoine Bynum, and they both were really good defensive linemen for us that had not played defensive linemen in the past that we moved there. And uh, they were not big kids, but they had great get off. So they could get penetration and they could create some plays in the backfield and they could just, you know, they could make use. This this was a good fit for what we wanted to do on defense and for what Coach Pinkle wanted to recruit. He liked to recruit speed and he would take speed over size. So he had come from the Washington Huskies when they had won the national championship. And they had they were running this four four defense that we put in at uh, Toledo as well, and they were, you know, super aggressive up front. And the two defensive ends that they had were, I think, state champions in the hundred meter or something like that. So he was big on that. He wanted speed up front, speed on the defense. So this type of play that we had was, you know, the way that we coached it or that I coached it was, it kind of fit in with what we wanted to do. And once we got into the Big 12, you know, we, now we start facing Nebraska and Kansas State. And at the time, those guys were very hard. Uh, they were option teams. They were very successful. They were very big people out there on the football field. So we kind of moved from a 4-4 back to a 4-3 because it actually let us put some bigger people on the field. That really didn't change what we were doing up front all that much. Um, and then... You know, that kind of evolved into some multiple fronts out of that. And then, you know, I got to Miami. You know, so I worked for Coach Pinkel for 25 years, between 10 at Toledo and 15 at Missouri, you know. And he's the winningest coach in Toledo history and the winningest coach in Missouri history. You know, this is, I don't think he gets a credit that he deserves a lot of time. And it's just, if nothing else, the guy was the most organized person and the, the program was run like a, a machine, you know, and it was great. Uh, but then I went with Coach Rick, who's, you know, I love working with him. He's a wonderful person, probably, you know, one of the best people there is in coaching. And uh, with Manny, and Manny wanted to run this, you know, he goes, well, I think we need to get our guys to penetrate, you know, and I was at Mississippi State. We could never really get them to penetrate like I wanted to. And he goes, you usually took about six games into the year. I go, if it takes us six practices, you need to get a new D-line coach. So we got on pretty good there. We shared a lot of the same philosophies and uh, same ideas and had a pretty good, you know, we had a really good defense there. And I think the last year we had the most sacks. Last year I was there, the most sacks per game uh, in the country. And then I went to the University of Alabama and got the coach, Quentin Williams and Raekwon Davis and Isaiah Bugs and, um, recruit all these guys that are playing for him now, and you know that uh, some of the guys are all kind of youngsters now, but I think they're still doing pretty good. And, uh, LeBron Ray is a guy that also is a very good player for them that I got a chance to coach, and I really enjoyed coaching him. Great kid, and uh, and then you know that ended, and then they asked me to come over, and I really kind of through my whole career have been you know like trying to push this envelope on, on trying to become coordinator. So they offered me an opportunity to come here to Toledo, and uh, that head coach is one of his best friends is Vince Karras from, and he had been, you know, wildly successful, obviously at Mount Union, and felt really good about him, and uh, thought that I could help in the mix, and so I, you know, we've done a lot of the things that I've done, you know, throughout the years, and I kind of have a lot of knowledge, like kind of more knowledge, just because I've been 
exposed to more things than a lot of guys on the staff, and that really helped us. So this year we went from being in 2019, the Toledo defense was 12th in the MAC. There's 12 teams in the MAC, they're 12th. This year we were first in total defense in the MAC. Uh, we were first in third downs. We were second in rushing defense, which to me was important because I wanted to, I, I, you know, I want to be able to obviously want to have the best chance of winning the game. You know, if they can't stop the run, then you can't really have a good chance to win the game. And also, you know, I've been kind of known as the pass rush guy my whole career. And uh, so I wanted to make, you know, let people know that I can do it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thing. yeah. You know, just just like, I guess, you know, like for a little self-satisfaction, basically, on the inside, you know, prove it to myself and everybody else. So. What I, I'm curious when when you go from uh you know you know from being a position coach for so long and now you step into that coordinator role and yet you're still coaching a position outside linebackers there at Toledo, you know what's the yeah. mindset change like going from you know just a or not just a but a but a position coach to a coordinator now where you have not just your own guys to think about but everyone else and you have to you know kind of plan things and coordinate how you want things to look and how does that mindset for you change? Well, it is. It does make you think a lot more about the whole big picture. Uh, you know, it it does force you to. You know, it, it, outside linebacker, you're kind of a integral part of what each call is being. You know, the defensive line has you know a certain job, and it, and it doesn't change all that much. But the outside linebacker's job, you could go from being a, you got to be a pass rush guy. You could be going from being a five technique. Inside a tackle, you could be going to the guy's got to drop to the flag. You might have to man a back. You might have to man a tight end. You might be the guy dropping in the bill on a, you know, on a, on a coverage. You know, there's a lot of different things now. Like they, that guy's got to do more things than anybody else in the entire defense. So with a lot of this stuff coordinating, it, it helped because I like my vision could get carried out very easily because I was coaching the guys that had the most adjustments. If, if you're, you know, like say you're coaching the safeties and, you, you know, like you're telling the guys up front what you want, but you don't necessarily have all the little specifics and, you know, that you need and all the little details. And, you know, you tell the guy, well, just coach them. Because you can't really, you know, it like jet off the ball, jet technique off the ball, which I love. And, and when you're in a 4-3 defense, it's a big deal. When you're in a 3-4 defense, it's a big deal to not do that. So it, you kind of have to, things have to, you can't just say, well, this is the way I want to coach it. It's, you know, you've got to coach it the way it's best for that defense to run. And the coordinator, again, you know, with me and Vince, it's like the, the vision has been really, you know, in unison. So it wasn't very hard to like, you know, we didn't have much debate over a lot of things, you know, it's just right. like, yeah, that's, that's what we want to do. That's good. Right. Well, looking back over your career, what what are some just some highlights from your time as a coach, whether it be big time games or, or moments with players? Uh, what what were some are some highlights of your coaching career up to this point? Well, uh, certainly, you know, we when I had as a coach, you know, it's been a few years now. We're in 1995. We're at Toledo. Uh, you know, as it is in this coaching business, they're, you know, like you're always one year from getting fired. And uh, so we were, we had a couple like average years at Toledo. And in 1995, we went undefeated and uh, we played a team, Nevada, 
Reno, and we played them twice that year and played them in the bowl game in Las Vegas. We were heavily underdog both times. We won both games and uh, won the first overtime game in the history of Division I, uh, or uh, FBS as we call it now. And uh, that was a big win. And going to Missouri, um, certainly we beat Nebraska for the first time in 20-some years. That was a huge win. Um, there was, you know, we beat Texas uh, for the first time. We beat Oklahoma when they were number one. We beat, uh, you know, well, A&M, we were, we had like a, I think we were six or eight versus A&M. I'll show you all those games are big games. Uh, we had a big win over Georgia when we got in the SEC the second year. That was a huge win. Um, and then, you know, just coaching a lot of really good players. I was blessed that, you know, I try to make a difference in their lives, and they certainly make a difference in my life. And uh, so, you know, I coached a, a kid, Dewan Gould, who was the defensive player of the year in the Mid-American Conference. And then I was able to go to Missouri and Coach Alden Smith, who, as you can see, he's playing for the Dallas Cowboys and doing fantastic, even though he had to he had miss a few years there. But obviously one of the most talented guys especially uh, early on in my career that I was able to, to get to coach um, and truly, you know, like built the, uh, uh, an outside, like an outside linebacker or a rush defensive end dream kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then, you know, Michael Sam, a guy who's like a, not a very highly rated guy coming out of high school. Nobody really, you know, like a lot of schools didn't recruit him. I think we beat Colorado State on him. And, you know, a lot of guys on our staff even were like had doubts about the guy. And to see that guy become the defensive player of the year in the SEC was certainly fantastic. And then to follow that up with Shane Ray, again, and not a super highly recruited guy. He ended up becoming the defensive player of the year uh, the next year. And uh, just to see these guys that, you know, really blossom and Charles Harris become a first-round draft pick. And that kid is one of the hardest, toughest, hardest-working, smart. And he's, like, had no scholarship offers. And we weren't even sure we were going to put him at defensive line. And this guy ended up being a first-round draft pick at the University of Missouri. Uh, led the SEC in tackles for loss, like, as a sophomore. Um, when I was coaching them. And then he, you know, guys like Marcus Golden, who was a tailback in high school, and he got to us and we tried him an inside linebacker and we put him down a defensive end. And, and now he's, you know, having a great NFL career. And he's a great player for us. And Coney Ely, you know, uh, Sheldon Richardson, obviously, is, is one of the best interior players that I ever coached and really one of the best players and still is a really good player in the NFL. Uh, and then to be able to go to Miami and step into there and then like the defensive line had not been very good. And all of a sudden they became, you know, you know like the next two years, it became dominant. And uh, to see guys like Chad Thomas go play in the NFL and like every guy that I co coached there basically got a shot to play in the NFL. And, you know, it really makes you appreciate the talent, obviously, that you're with, but that those guys are kind of like, they 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 take the teaching, they absorb what you're asking them to do, and they you know they try to do it to the best of their ability. And then I had to completely flip my gears when I got to Alabama, and uh, but still like just what's inside of me and coaching. You could you know Quentin Williams like he was you know he grabbed onto it, and, and uh, 
obviously was a, a very dominant player, an extremely hard worker, very smart, tough to stay calm. And, uh, I mean, there's no surprise that he's a success. He was not that, like, the guy coming into the year, like, I didn't, like, coming into the year, we didn't even know if he was going to be a starter. Yeah. We didn't know what spot he was going to play on the defensive line. Uh, there was a lot of debate about him not being a nose because he's probably not a nose, but he certainly could play it as good or better than anybody else we had and be dominant from it. And it really, I think it really helped because if you look at like a three man front, obviously he could, he, when you get in a four man front, that guy just plays, a, a, you know, he just plays a shade or a three technique like you would play in a four, three anyways. Right. But when you got into this three man front, that, you know, it's kind of dominant around college football that everybody kind of gets with the two, four eyes that he was singled up on the center. And with most nose guards, it's not a big deal on pass, right? They can, the center can snap the ball. The guy's kind of big. He just pushes on him and he sits down and he's able to take him. Well, Quinn, you know, he can make you miss in a phone booth. And, uh, you know, to putting him one-on-one with us, it was a huge problem for the offensive line. And I think that, you know, he's, he was really able to, you know, take advantage of that. And he really, you know, he would go study stuff that I had done at other schools online. And, like, he'd come back and ask me about stuff. I'm like, I saw you doing that at Missouri. I saw you doing that drill over here. And, you know, like, he was, he was a good student. Yeah. And a great kid. And, and uh, you know, I think he had a pretty decent year for the Jets, it sounds like, too. He should be a, a dominant player in the NFL as well. I'm curious because you talked about when, you know, being at Missouri, and I think it was, uh, was it 2013 when you had all those guys together, you know, Michael Sam, Coney yeah. Easley, Shaner, and that was that the year y'all were uh, at the top of the stands in the SEC East, if I'm, if I, if I remember correctly? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. We played the SEC Championship yeah. in 13 and 14. Right. Yeah. There, okay, there we go. Yeah, that's right. And, okay, so you go from there where you, you kind of mentioned you're recruiting a lot of these guys who are maybe overlooked and you're bringing them in and maybe moving their, moving them around as far as position-wise and, and really developing these guys. And then contrast that with going to Alabama where you can basically go out and get whoever you want, right? So what's what's the difference in coaching you know, defensive line at those different schools where maybe you're taking some guys at Missouri who are kind of raw, but you can really make them in your own image because – they don't have a whole lot of background at the position, or maybe they were not as heavily recruited versus Alabama, where you have these four and five star kids who are extremely talented. Just what's the talk about the differences in coaching defensive line at those types of places? Yeah, well, it was it was very different um, because you're Alabama. I would describe as like if you if you look at this you know, like a beautiful grandfather clock, right? And this thing runs and it never take, loses time and it always looks fantastic and it always goes on time. And as a coach, you're like a little tiny cog or spoke in that clock. And if they take that out, they can replace it very easily. So whatever coach goes in there, just kind of, he can help to make guys better, but you're basically going to do what they want you to do, how they want you to do it, you know? And honestly, Coach Saban has gone through a lot of defensive line coaches because he can't really <laughs> get anybody to basically get exactly his vision yeah. on what he wants with the defensive line. It's very tough. And um, so as opposed to, like, 
here's, look, we got to make some plays on defense. We need these guys to be able to get some pressure on the quarterback. You got to be able to stop the run. You know, what, what can you do to make these guys better? And, and the players are obviously uh, a little bit hungrier to listen. And, you know, initially it, 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 it's tough because, you know, coming from Toledo to Missouri, right? Like most of the kids are like, they didn't, you know, like you could, didn't matter what you did at, at Toledo. It wasn't right. impressive. But then right. when you started doing some stuff at Missouri, then you kind of get a reputation and the kids kind of like, they realize, you know, who, who you've coached and who you've helped make successful and things like that. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, then it becomes a, like a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's what yeah. it was going at the end. I mean, like if you, if you look at like we had two defensive ends that I had at one point was Alden Smith. And then the other defensive end was Jacquees Smith. Now Jacquees Smith was a free agent, but Jacquees played seven years in the NFL and he led the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers in sacks one year. So those are the two defensive ends. Their backups are Coney Ely, who ended up being a second-round draft pick, and Michael Sam, right? And then yeah. Michael Sam's backup is uh, Marcus Golden, who ends up being a second-round draft pick and was end up being first-team All-SEC in some things. And Shane Ray is the backup to Coney Ely. And then you get into, well, Charles Harris is the backup to Shane Ray. You know, and uh, it just, it was one of those things where because we were able to keep the same defense, the same techniques, the same drills, like I could guy, take a guy that I coached back in the early 2000s at the University of Missouri and he could come over and, you know, help me run practices because he could, he knows the drills that we're doing and, and things have changed, you know, obviously a little bit, but it's still, they got the same vision they understand, Yeah, you know. And it's basically the whole the whole premise of the thing is like you want the players to play as hard as possible, and so by able to putting them in in a situation where they can be they can make the defense successful first, and then they can themselves be successful doing it, and then be by being able to play as many players as possible. It's, you have to earn your right to play, but then once you're like Shane Ray steps in and he goes from being a backup to the defensive player of the year in the SEC. Well, he had played a lot of snaps. So being a starter was no, besides running out there for the first play in the game and having his name announced over the loudspeakers, that's it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, so that's, by being able to do that, then you can keep some continuous. And then, you know, you're also be able to play some guys that are younger and not have to, like, if somebody gets hurt and they have to step in, it's not like a total shock to them. And they can, you know, they can refine their craft a little bit. You don't have to depend on them for the whole game. Right. Right. And they can learn if they play good, that they don't, they play more. And if they don't play good, you know, they play less. You know, it doesn't really matter who you are. Sheldon Richardson is probably the, one of the most highest ranked recruits ever to come in at the University of Missouri, and rightly so. And, he, you know, he didn't start when he first came in, you know, and, and that was hard for him to swallow. But I'm like, well, I'm, I'm happy to start you since you outperform everybody. You know, I'm not handing you anything. Right. So, and I think that was, you know, when I went to be honest with you, when I went to Miami, it was kind of the same thing there. I said, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know everybody. 
So you guys just do your best, and we'll take a look and see who we think the guys are the best players are. And those guys will play the most, and the other guys will play, you know, accordingly to how much they produce and what they do. So it allows you to, you know, have, you know, the ability to, like, not depend on a certain player. or And when you don't have depth, it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to do that. So building the depth is, is a key thing. And really, I'll be honest with you, when I was at Alabama, their depth in their defensive line was probably if not as good as it usually is. I'll, I'll say it that way. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and, you know, just through attrition and recruiting and guys leaving early, I mean, it's going to happen. At any Power 5 school, but especially a school like Alabama or Miami, if the player's a good player, if he's an all-conference type of player, he's not coming back. So, you know, that kind of has to be built in to see better people to make young players play. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. They're going to they're gonna be gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, let, let's let's jump into talking about pass rush philosophy. Discuss your 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 philosophy for rushing the passer, and you know how you go about implementing that philosophy with your players. Well, the the first thing is you're basically are you going to be a speed rush guy or are you going to be a power rush guy? All right, and so I'm a speed rush guy. So the speed rush guys. Everything is built off the speed rush. Now, the speed rush is inclusive in the speed rush is getting off the ball, right? Then the, the also inclusive in the speed rush is like you need to you need to key the ball, right? So I need to be able to see out of the corner of my eye the ball. I can't I can't focus on the shoulder of the offensive tackle or the offensive guard and be able to get off the ball as fast. Now, for a lot of people, that's what they coach, and it, I, I understand it. And it kind of puts your eyes on what you're trying to do, like where you're trying to strike and, and that kind of stuff. But in order to be able to explode off the ball, all right, you need to you need to be able to see the ball out of the corner of your eye at least. Like you can look straight ahead, but you can also see the ball move out of the corner of your eye. All right, and then you need to have like little tips and in-game tips and, you know, pre-game tips on, like, when is the snap going to come? What's the, like, what does the center do to kind of trigger that he's going to snap the ball? You know, there's sometimes there's some keys. Sometimes there's not. But more times than not, there are keys where the guy is going to tell you that, you know, the ball, the snap is coming. So you you can take an educated guess on your get-off and not a wild-ass guess. We're not moving on sound. We're moving on movement. All right? So now as, a, as an outside linebacker, right, or a defensive end, okay, I am trying to race to a spot behind the offensive tackle towards the quarterback. So it should be a straight line between where I'm aligned and where the quarterback is, all right? And in the old days, we used to be, or in past rush situations, you'd see us at Missouri where our defensive end, and it got to be that way at Miami too, our defensive ends would be like almost out of the frame of the picture on the end zone camera. And, but what that does is that puts the offensive lineman in a place where he doesn't like is called space. Right. And then I can use my quickness and my speed to beat him in space. Now, the hands are your weapons to win. 
All right. So in high school, if I watch a high school tape and I see guys, or you see a guy with great get off, he just runs by the guy, nobody touches him, and he gets a sack. And if you get good enough get off, you can do some of that, but that's not the way to win against good people, right? So you're you're really your your hands are going to be your weapons to win. So when we go back here, you're in your stance, and we're talking about get off, right? I want to explode out of my stance, and I don't want to take. In the old days, they used to teach the guys to take a big first step, like a very big first step. Like you want to replace your down hand. Now the problem with doing that, especially with guys who are not highly uh, skilled, you know, the guys are, you know, some guys can do anything you ask them, right? But if you take, you know, good players and you're trying to make them into great players, when you take that big first step, you stand up, you stand straight up. So what I would teach them is to explode out of their hips. So we did a lot of like six point come off and <laughs> different things and layouts and stuff like that. But we weren't taking that. You would take, you would push off both feet and then naturally it, that back foot would come and it would land. And we, we really didn't care where it landed, but it was more of the pushing off both feet and to simulate it or to show the guys what we we're looking for. You look at guys coming out of the blocks in a hundred meter. Right. This is kind of a stance we're looking for. This is the push that we're trying to get out with our hips because your hips are the most powerful thing on your body. Right. And so the explosiveness that we're trying to get out of there, that's going to be transferred and that's going to carry over for run or pass. So we want to get that explosion coming out of those blocks uh, and, and coming off. Now, my hands, my hands, so we're aiming for this spot. I know I drift all over the place, but it's all right. If you can follow along, ask questions if you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. All right. So now let's, we're getting off the ball, right? We exploded. The ball was snapped. We exploded forward. And now we're aiming for this spot behind the offensive line. All right. Five yards, four yards, depending on where the quarterback set is. Okay. If this guy does not stop my, if I'm able to beat him around the corner, all right, then I'm going to do a inside hand where I would chop his outside hand, all right? So anytime that I talk about a chop, it would be the inside hand chopping the outside hand. And I want to take the inside hand, and I want to chop through the wrist, or at worst the forearm, but really the wrist of the offensive lineman. So anytime that we chop, it's an inside hand chopping the outside hand. All right, and then I would the, the easiest thing to do with that is to then follow it up with a rip. All right, so I would I would that's the, the really one of the only pass rush moves that I teach where we use the same hand, you know, at the same time. So I go chop down and then I lift it up with a rip. Right, so that's yep. the chop rip. Right, and that would be able to brace and beat the guy around the corner and get to the quarterback. Of course, we want to finish with a strip on the quarterback, right, and going through the ball. If I if I race and the offensive lineman meets me at that spot, all right, and when he meets me at that spot, he is most of the time has turned his shoulders perpendicular to the offensive to the line of scrimmage. So yeah. he's kind yep. of went from facing forward to facing completely sideways. This is when you want to use the power rush. And so when I say put your hand like when we go a stab or like a long arm. It's inside hand to inside number, all right? So 
if he meets me in that spot, turns his and and like instead of like staring at that spot to see if he meets me there, what I tell the guys is to see if his shoulders turn. If his shoulders turn, then I want to take that inside hand and run it to his inside number with a long arm. One arm is longer than two, and you can do you can use the offhand to to grab his wrist, forklift it. You can use the offhand like if you power rush and you get that thing extended. And I can get them to open up the inside. I can punch through with the outside hand. Um, I can do a few things off of that. But it, it's that's when I want to get the uh, the stab and the number. I really like the what you're talking about with coming out of a stance and not worrying so much about step. I worried a lot about you know first step and where it lands and all of that for a long time. And really, it was actually after talking with guys on this podcast. Um, this past season started focusing more on just exploding out of your hips and not really focusing too much on where that step lands because I think you know if you're doing it correctly it's gonna it's gonna land where it needs to anyway but but I like that just exploding exploding out of your hips I think that's that's the, the way to teach it as opposed to a, a, a step because you're right you do pop up out of your stance and so they're they're racing them to that spot I'm just kind of summarizing what you what you've said here, and you can fill in if I if yeah. I missed anything. Racing them to that spot that's four to five yards behind that. Now that, that offensive line's outside leg. I'm assuming that's that's where it is. Yeah. Okay. And then and then if he's if we beat him, kind of like the old adage, if you know if we're even, we're leaving. I'm gonna just chop, dip, and rip and get around him. Uh, and now if he's beating me that spot, now I'm stabbing with my my inside arm, doing a long arm, and then my outside arm, I can forklift, I can punch through. Uh, it, it, that's that's basically where we're at right now. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. And then you're going to get people that are jump setters, so they're going to step outside that line that you're on. Yes. So they, because they're trying to widen the pocket, right? So they, you know, the offensive line coaches are like, they know that the outside rushers are supposed to have leverage on the quarterback, right? So they want to jump outside, and like you're in a speed rush, and they want to jump you and you know stop you so like for example when we play uh like when we played texas tech in the old days with coach leach and he had these enormous splits that spot moved it wasn't behind the offensive line and that moved to the inside right because the splits yeah. were so big it was ridiculous to try to run around these guys you'd never get there right all right so you have to be cognizant obviously that you have to keep leverage on the quarterback but if that guy if you're gonna, if you're on that race to that line, right to that spot, and the guy sets outside of it, you got to come underneath him. And so you're not coming underneath him. You're not going underneath him right now. You're doing it at that five yard spot, right? Right. So I'm racing to that spot, and I'm gonna make contact with this guy, or he's jumping outside. Now I just club, and I come underneath. So I would club with the inside hand there, and you know, I a swim move seems to work the best. Where you get an arm over with the outside arm, and you want to press down on his back as you come off, and to get into the quarterback there. So he, the tackle, took himself out of the spot where he can leverage the quarterback. So I need to know once I do that that I need to also be able to get back upfield. So if the quarterback goes to like get the heck out of there, that I can still leverage him or at least stay on his outside shoulder and you know force him to throw the ball away. So if you don't do that, all right, then you will never get effective pass rush and the offensive lineman will always jump you. In our league here in the Mid-American Conference, there's a lot of guys doing that. They, they, take, they, take, they start off with tight splits, and then they jump out. 
right? And it's really hard on a normal down to like anticipate that that's going to happen. And if the guy right. loses leverage one time, if he, if the guy loses leverage one time and everybody goes nuts, then you're like, you know, but there's a there's a the right way to do it. So if you do it the right way, what I said, then you will have leverage. Now, if you do something the wrong way, it's not going to work no matter what you're trying to do. So you have to do things the right way. If I came inside and this guy is a really good offensive tackle he and saw that I was coming inside or anticipated or was able to do it, I would then be able to be able to spin back outside. So one, like if you watch Dwayne Freeney, like I when I met with John Tierlink, he was at the Colts, or you know, I was in like in love with these spin rush moves that they had done, right? And so I watched. I, I took a whole year of Dwayne Freeney and Robert Mathis, and I I watched them do spin rushes, and I made a tape for all my players. I still have it to this day, and it's that is an unbelievably good inside move because I'm taking this guy, I'm starting to chop with the outside arm. Some guys will actually punch with the inside arm on the, on the offensive tackles outside arm. But remember I said the chop was always the right, inside hand right. chopping to the outside end. So I would chop and then do the spin move and I'm right at the level of the quarterback and I don't lose any leverage at all. Yeah. All right. If I spun too early and screwed it up, all right, then I would just spin back outside. So if I came underneath, the guy's washing me, then spin back outside, I should be right where the quarterback's stepping around. Yeah. So using that spin move, it has a lot of benefits. A lot of guys don't like the spin move, it, but the spin move is not, the spin move is a counter. It's not a primary move. The exactly. The primary move was I was racing and I was going to chop. The guy set out on me, and I chop spin and come underneath. And if you don't have an effective speed rush, the chop is going to look like, I mean, the spin is going to look poor. Right. So you can do it. You can also do a spin off a counter off of using a rip move, like rip up field and then spin back. Right. Or a number of different things. But the spin move in itself only works when you get the offensive lineman to turn their shoulders and get them to commit to stopping the outside move. And then it will work. Then you can spin back to the inside effectively. So it has to be a counter move, not a first move. Right. Now, again, if you're a good player and you're going against a poor player, you can do most anything and it works. Right. Right. But if you're, if the talent level is even or close to even, you know, these technique things are the things that make the difference in your ability to succeed. And so being able to be an effective spin rush off of that chop is good. Charles Harris that I coached uh, was not like, he was not like a make you miss kind of guy. He was a great edge rusher. He had unbelievable get off, and he was he was powerful. But he was not a great like make you miss. Now Alden Smith can make you miss or do whatever, right? So Charles Harris got really good at that spin at that spin because he could get to the outside, get you set up, get you turned with a great get off, and then he did that spin and be able to come to the inside and get you every game. Shane Ray he could make you miss. So Shane was really good with like getting up to that spot, shake a little bit, and then he would club and swim and come to the inside. So I teach pass rush moves based on the physics of your body and what works. And then each guy kind of has his own pattern of what he's successful with. Like the spin move doesn't work as well as a counter for some other guys. You know, the, the, some guys are not fast enough 
and beat you around the corner with a chop rip. Like we may only do that if we had a, like a blitz and all out blitz and I got to contain, you know, on the deal, then I might do the chop rip. Right. But otherwise now I need to like go to the man. Right. And then, and then start it from there. So I mean, you need to go and stab him with the inside hand and the inside number and come out and do a, like a club rip off of it or, or do a stab on the inside number and do a pull, you know, a club swim or, you know, there's a lot of combinations, but basically there's base. I hear what I teach in the pass rush is there's base things that you want to do in terms of your hands, your hands and your feet always have to go together because if they don't, then you're going to be off balance. You're not going to have power. And if you just try to stand on your left foot and hit something with your right hand, if you need the proof and, and so same hand, same foot, there's like the inside hand goes on the inside number. The chop goes on the wrist. The inside hand goes on a chop on the outside wrist. If you chop to the inside, it turns your shoulders away from where the quarterback wants to go or where you want to go to get to the quarterback. So if I take my outside hand and I step and I chop the inside hand, all right, I just turn my shoulders in towards the ball and not upfield to where the quarterback is. So I don't like the inside hand chop because of that. Now, I know, like, if you set a guy up and take him upfield and open it up and then you chop with the inside hand and come underneath, yeah, that could work. And I know some people that teach that, and they, you know, they I just don't like what it does with your shoulders. So, like, over time, I've seen, like, what a lot of guys coach, and I, I just know what works effectively for me and – consistently yeah and i think you're you, you hit it on the head there with with there's a, a million ways to skin a cat and, and whatever your approach is going to be be all in on that and 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 you know be consistent with the way that you teach it because i think if you approach it with well one day you're doing this and then the next day you're you're, you're trying this approach then it's going to confuse your kids and they're going to play tentatively and and it's just going to be frustrating for everyone uh, I wanted to ask you about the, about the spin move. Just talk about some finer points of coaching the spin, because I think a lot of, especially I'm speaking for high school coaches, are afraid of it just because uh, you know we're typically dealing with kids who are inexperienced at rushing the passer, and it can sometimes be a tricky move because uh, it's kind of like a little puppy. You know, once they get they have success with it, that's all they want to do, right? And and you know, then they, they you get into where these guys you get to where these guys they want to spin all the time. And you already mentioned it can't be something that's planned. Um, so just talk about some you know some finer points to you know break that spin move down and how you're coaching that. Right. So the I, I've never been to a place where I I came in as a defensive line coach or outside linebacker coach. And they were doing the spin move before I got there. Never. And it's, it's something that has to be practiced over and over. And like I said, if you're a good player and you beat a bad player, it really many times it's like it, it doesn't really always necessarily matter what you're doing. Just you're a better player than he is. All right. So on the spin move, what we want to do what I, is you want to take the inside hand and chop the outside hand, right? If, let's talk right now. I'm an edge rusher, right? I want to take the inside hand and chop the outside hand of the offensive tackle, all right? And I, I should get him to like by doing this chop. I should be able to get him to drop his hands and get him to fall forward a little bit, so his head and shoulders lean forward once I chop, all right? Then I want to take my elbow. All right, I want to, I'm going to have my hips, like, sink my hips, get low, right? Take that elbow, 
swing it around as hard as possible and try to elbow him in like the ribs. And then I'm going to take my hand and try to get him back and get my hand like towards where his spine or kidney is yeah. on the spin. All right. So the way that I would practice this is against one of the pop-up dummies where you're, you're used. And basically you're, you're really trying to use that backside arm. All right. As the force on the dummy to knock the dummy down. So I'm not, when I'm doing it, the chop is on air and the backside arm is really getting that is really the backside elbow and wrist are really what knocking down that back. All right. And you do it on both sides and you do it both ways. So I used to wrestle in high school, right? And to me, when you're on the, you know, you're on the bottom and you did a sit out, right? You would get your feet out. You would take that backside elbow through his, like the other guy's elbow, basically, and get your hand deep to reach around. And it's a lot, it, to me, it's very similar to that, where you want to get low. You could, it would be the same thing if you're on a basketball court where you, you know, you did a spin while you were dribbling the basketball to make the guy miss. And I'm, it's probably not all that much different than a running back either when they, when they make the spin. But the, the, the whole key is his backside arm has got to be violent, okay, with the elbow and the wrist. And if you do it too high, you're going to hit the guy in the head and you could get called for a penalty. And the second thing is you're not going to get very good leverage. And I'm talking about leverage in terms of, like, knocking him, like, around. Right. Because right? this, this is not something that you need to be stronger than the guy to do. You just need to get him leaning one way and then knock him with that backside arm to go more that way. Right? So, as an edge rusher, that's what I would do. So, as you, it, again, everything is same hand, same foot. So, it's going to be, if I was stepping up with the right hand, it would be stepping with the right foot. And then... I would take the left elbow, swing it back around, wrist. That would bring my knee, hip, around. And then I would accelerate right towards the quarterback, right to where he's at on the, on the, on the outside. That would be like an edge rush. Right. On the inside, that's not really – you're not going to be afforded a time. Like you, on the inside, you can't just speed rush around the guard. Right. So as an inside rusher – I would start with a move, like a club rip, all right? And then I would get the guy to, he would have his shoulders turned, like perhaps he's walling me off from the quarterback, and he's got his shoulders turned. And then I would do the same thing where I hit that elbow and wrist when I got to the level of the quarterback or near the level of the quarterback, elbow, wrist, and then I would be able to, to come back to the inside. And so the quarterback's going to step up, I would be able to spin right into where he's at. You cannot do a spin rush off of a power rush. So if I'm face-to-face -face with a guy, I, I did not make him turn and, and get away. So I can't spin off of that. So you can't go from power to spin. You can only go from speed, like a speed, you know, like dip and rip, like you were calling it. I'd go from that to a spin, or I could go from like a rip move to a spin. Many times off the spin, uh, like if you're going to use a swim move, it doesn't always work, but it can where you club and you swim and the guy's getting into your ribs, but you get him to turn and then you spin back. Right. You could also, you can also, uh, if you were like Mathis was the, the master at this, he would like come inside like he was doing a stunt, right? Cause at the, at the Colts, they did a lot of line stunts. So he would set it up like he was doing a stunt and rip to the inside. So he's got his outside arm ripping to the inside. And then he would take that, inside elbow and spin back to the outside 
yeah, you can yeah. set it up. So you you could set that up. Now you know you're going to do that, right? You know right, that it's, right. it's going to come. But you you could like come hard to the inside and then spin back to the outside, which is very similar to what I was saying about if you beat the offensive tackle on that race rush to the inside, and then you got you saw that the quarterback was trying to get the hell out of there, you spin and come back to the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that seems to me like that would be a really good. Uh, move for like a, a tendency breaker if you're a big you know interior stunning team you know or maybe you're you're doing right. a lot of long sticks with your with your five technique you know maybe faking that and then coming back outside um now you talked about you know that you can't spin off a off a off a power move i think and you may have already said this and i missed it but i think one of the 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 most important things to remember is that you know that offensive lineman's uh, shoulder pads have to be vertical to the line of scrimmage or perpendicular to the line of scrimmage in order for a spin move to work, correct? Correct, yeah. And and so it's it's tough to go from a power rush to a spin, right? And then yeah. the other thing is the guy's going to hold you, but when you go to spin, you're, you're not going to have much there. Right, right. So the, the, whole, the whole way, and you, the lower, like if you, those two guys that keep using as examples because they were great examples, they were both very short defensive ends for NFL standards, all right? But they're both super fast, and they're both very strong. And so they had, like, it was, when they did the dip and rip, it was hard to stop that because the offensive linemen were tall, and it was hard to get low. So the offensive linemen would really have to get the hell out of there to be able to stop that. And then that's when they could Freeney was such so good at hitting that that spin move to come to the inside. And then, you know, if they took Dwight Freeney and brought him in the playoffs this year and put him out there, he'd he'd win. He'd probably get a hit on the quarterback the first play he did it. Yeah, he's so good yeah. at doing it. He'd done it so many times. So so talk about you mentioned working this you know working the spin move with a pop up. Uh, let, let's just talk about some of your favorite drills that you like to use when it comes to coaching pass rush. Well, I, the, the one move or the one drill that I've always done that I really like is four corners. So you take four pop-up dummies, you put them five yards apart in a square. All right. And I like to put a bag to have a quarter, like a ball on it. Like you're going to strip that ball, right? You're going to, like you have a fifth bag with a ball on it so that you're going to strip that thing at the end. So you work around the outside of the four corners and then you finish to the inside of the square. Right, so it would be like we would go club rip, club rip, club rip, club rip, all on the outside, and then I would finish to the inside of the square where the other bag would be with the ball on the top, and we'd work a strip move on that. And then you can work club rip, spin to the inside, spin to the inside, club rip back to the outside, and, and then strip. You can work the club and swim. You can like the club and swim both ways on that, and you can do it left and right, so the guys get used to doing it left side and right side. It's it. The things I like about it is it's you get one pass rush move or two pass rush moves. You get it multiple times. You have to go at a high rate of speed to be able to do it because you're not going to be a good pass rusher if you're thinking about what to do. You can't just do like one bag. Like let's do this move on this one bag and do it one or two times, and all of a sudden you're going to be able to do it in a situation, especially in a, a scrimmage or a live game situation. It has to be done a many, 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 many times so that it's a natural, like automatic reaction. Right. Absolutely. And so that's when, and that's you'll, and when you're coaching, like I, I know when I'm coaching guys, 
you, you struggle at first because it's all this like uh, stuff that they did in the past. And I'm not trying to really erase what they did in the past, but then all of a sudden you see one like times get tough. All of a sudden they hit this like spin move or they hit this beautiful club and swim at the end of their pass rush. And you're like, why don't you just do that at the beginning? You beat the guy clean. This is what I'm teaching you. Right. So yeah. this four corner I've been doing, I did it at Toledo. I did it at Missouri. I did it at Miami. I did it at Alabama and I'm doing it back at Toledo again. All right. So I really like this four corner better than it. Like a lot of people have that gauntlet where they have four, like every five yards mm-hmm. they do it. Um, I like this a lot better. It also forces you to turn your hips. So like what happened is when I was, when I was first coaching at, at uh, Toledo, I said, man, our guys are a little bit stiffer in the hips having a hard time, you know, like having them get by the offensive lineman and get to the quarterback. Like they could get by the offensive lineman, but not get to the quarterback. And uh, so I, when did, John Kierling was at the Lions and we got with him and, you know, he's like, well, we do this move. We do this drill. And I didn't even have knockdown backs at the time. I used to put four guys out there and we did it with four people. So um, I really think that that's the best drill. I've done it for years and years and years. I can be honest with you. I don't see anybody else doing it. Uh, so maybe I'm crazy. And, but uh, I think that it's a very effective move for, you know, you get, you get to do the same pass rush move at least four times or two times and you get to react from it, right? Like the spin rush, you're not going to be able to just hit a bag and spin. You have to run at a bag and then spin to the inside. And then you've got to be able to recover and do something else, right? You have to yeah. be able to come off that spin rush and, be able to do that. And then on the last bag, it really gets them to lean and do that. And if you went on YouTube and you put my name in there, at some point you're going to see me doing that drill with some group. So if you want to get a good view of what it looks like, you, you'll be able to see it. And uh, it's a good drill to, uh, and, I mean, it's tough. Like, it, you know, it, it's each rep is a work. You know, it's not a, uh, they're going to be huffing and puffing once you're doing this stuff. So, um, but it's it's a good drill. I think it's a great drill for teaching all almost all the pass rush moves except for the long arm. You can do all of them on there. And then there's a, a one called tight gauntlet where I'll put them, you know, basically two feet apart in four bags and still have one to strip at the end. And this is quick hands, quick feet getting through the bag. So you go club rip, club swim, club rip, club swim, or club rip, club rip. But you go right, left, right, left or left, right, left, right, and you go through the bags as fast as possible, and it really forces you to use your hands, your feet, and, and open your numbers. Like, I never really t- use a term with the guys. Like, I don't say open your hips or turn your hips. I say turn your numbers. Like, it's their upper body that really needs to turn, you know, and be able to get – and, leave, and the, when you're hit, hitting these bags, if you're not knocking the bags to the ground, then you're not doing it right. So the bags have to hit off the ground. So it can't be like you hit them and knock them and they sway a little bit. They have to go again. You have to knock the bags to the ground. And this is not something you can do in a weight room, right, to simulate this. You can't, and it's not like you're, you could have the biggest, strongest guy come out there and he might not be able to knock him down because he doesn't have the flexibility in his upper body that he needs. But this is a good drill and, and through the years, with these knockdown bags, the guys have always told me that it's like, this is, uh, it, it's like the first couple of days are really tough because these are muscles that you don't really use necessarily. 
and flexibility that you don't really develop until you start doing these things. Yeah, so that's those those are good drills. The other drill is for edge rushers. You got to do some kind of hoop, you know, where you're working that chop rip or dip and rip as you called it on the hoop, or you can work another move on the hoop. You can work a you know a number of different things on the hoop. If you're a swipe guy or a side scissors guy, you can work that on the hoop really well, and that really gets them lean. So if you want to, if you have, and it really on the inside too. It helps guys on the inside be able to lean and get around the edge. And when you're doing pass rush twists, then that come around that the inside players will do is really got to match that hoop too. So you can do a lot of things off of that as well. When you're looking back over the, the list of guys that you've coached over the years, you know whether it be at Toledo or Missouri or Miami or Alabama or now even at Toledo again, what's one skill that all of those dominant pass rushers had in common great get off they were the fastest person off the ball and i think that's good news for everyone listening to this because you didn't say they were six five you didn't say they were you know squatted 500 pounds i think get off is something that even a, a small town high school football coach can work with his guys you know whether he, he just got solid high school defensive linemen they can they can develop a great get off. Now, I mean that's relative. Are they going to have the get off of a of a Coney Ely or a you know Raquan Davis? No, but you know, in relative to the competition that they're playing, you can have a fast get off. And you know, that's something that you can that you can work on and develop. No, no question. And like when we first got to Missouri, uh, there was a guy that was there. He was a linebacker in junior college, linebacker in high school. I think he was kind of like an outside linebacker in junior college. He was 260 pounds, and in the Big 12, 260 pounds is not a very big interior player. And but he was one of the bigger guys we had, and we put him at. He played the one technique, and he got 22 tackles for loss. Was the most in the country, or at least the most in the Big 12 that year, from that unbelievable get off, and. He he did get a few offsides, but he would get a tackle for loss and next play and make up for it, you know. So um, it's an unbelievable skill, and it, I, as an offensive lineman, it's the thing that bothers you the most without question. Talk about this when you're when you're watching tape of high school defensive linemen. You know, besides the obvious measurables, their height and their their weight and their forty time, things like that. Uh, what do you look for when, when you're evaluating high school defensive linemen as far as their ability to pass to, to rush the passer? You know, what, what, what's one thing that they might do that makes you stop the film and say, "Wow, you know, that was really special." Well, obviously, the get off is a huge key. The ability to bend coming off the edge on the outside. Um, but one of the things, you know, it is a physical thing. Uh, but one of the things that I learned, especially from coaching Alden Smith, is the length in your reach is really a huge thing. So even a guy that's shorter, but he's got very long arms, this makes a huge difference in your ability to be a good pass rusher. And that is like something like length. Even when I was at Miami, uh, there's this kid that played safety. He comes to camp before his junior year, and they're like, well, put him in pass rush. And I like he weighed 195 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And I like I'm like okay. So they brought him over there and did pass rush. Like, and so they tell me and they're like, well, we think this kid can be a defensive end. And I'm like, uh, 
okay. So then I watch his tape, and he's a great safety. He's a really good receiver. And I'm like, why doesn't he play receiver or safety? You know, and they're like, well, we just think he's going to be a defensive end. And I'm like, okay. So this guy obviously continued to grow. And, you know, I worked with him at camp. We offered him. He committed. And his senior year, they moved a defensive end on his high school team, and he led the, the state in his level in tackles from that defensive end spot. And then he comes to Miami, and he had 15 and a half sacks. He's Greg Rousseau. So, you know, over the years, I've had, a, like, a good, a good I don't know, I'll say good luck, or I, guys that are long and, and, can, and have speed. Those guys are good pass rushers, in my opinion. And not necessarily, like, T.J. Watt doesn't really fit that bill. He's doing pretty good, you know. Really, Shane Ray doesn't really fit that spot. Neither does, does Mark Scolden. But if you're just saying, like, what would you be looking for ideally, you know, that would be the kind of thing. Now, then, then it's like, can he, if the guy's not super long, is he super fast? Can he make you miss? You know, how does he use his hands? Like, guys that don't use their hands, they, they're not going to be successful in college. Now, in high school, you you, you just blow through the line and it works, you know. In college, right. you can't do that. Right, so, right. As we get ready to close out our conversation today, a couple of questions for you as we wrap this thing up. So looking back on your coaching career now, what, what is some advice that you would go back and give yourself as a young coach? Well, I think that anybody that gets into coaching is, is, is a great fun job. It's kind of a crazy business. Um, you have to trust in yourself and you have to trust in the Lord and not everybody's path is the same and not things, things aren't equal. They aren't fair. They don't, they don't make sense sometimes, but that's life. And so I think that if you just constantly try to improve yourself and always look at what you do with a critical eye, don't defend what you do. Look at it with a critical eye and always try to see what you can do to get better. Be your worst critic, and always work on trying to improve yourself. Seek out other people for help. Learn from other people. Nobody in football invented anything. So people are willing, like me, to do this podcast and help some people out. And be critical of what you do. Seek help to improve, and always look to improve. Never, whatever you've done is never good enough. You can always be better. What can you do to be better? You have to be satisfied with making your players better. And did you make them into the best players that you can make them? And, and, and honestly, that's been the greatest enjoyment of mine in coaching. And the biggest regrets of mine in coaching have been if a guy did not become the player that I thought he could become. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's 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 the frustrating part. And you have to get them to believe that they're really in control of their own. Like they are in control of how good a player that they can be. And that gives them some kind of like stuff to grab onto where they, they see it can develop. Well, Coach, you're on Twitter uh, at Let's Meet at the QB, which has to be one of the best Twitter handles, especially for a defensive line coach out there. Uh, so you're a great follow there on Twitter. But what other coaches or books or resources 
Would you recommend coaches checking out this offseason if they're looking to learn and grow? Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm probably not as big a book reader as, uh, as a lot of guys are, uh, but I know that study football, and if you see somebody that's doing something that you like or that you want to emulate, reach out to them four times or not. They'll be willing to help you and or accommodate you in some sort of fashion. Or you can just watch the film from what you can get and you can learn from that. To me, the greatest teacher in all this stuff is the film. And then you can go, you know, if you want to read stuff on leadership, read guys that are leaders. You want to read stuff on uh, what it's like to be tough and mentally tough, read books that are like I read all kinds of books on the psychology of uh, of sport in terms of how do you teach yourself to think and become great. And there's a there's a there's a book called Pursuit to Excellence that I, we read a long time ago. It was a big thing for us at Missouri, and uh, it's. It will help you take a player who doesn't necessarily achieve and help him achieve more because he can know how to think. I don't want to say think like a winner, but think like a champion, how to believe in himself, how to become confident, how to play confident. If, you, if you're able to do that, you become a much better player. Because there's a lot of anxiety and worries, and our kids nowadays have more than ever. So the ability to be able to focus on what it is that makes you successful and to do those things that makes you successful and to believe that you can be successful. There's, there's a lot of stuff. The, the guy that wrote that book, his name is Terry Orlick. And he's a sports psychology guy. He studies like he, he has, uh, I think he says stuff on the web called the journal of excellence. He'll study fighter pilots and he'll study just anybody that's excellent. And what do they do that makes them excellent? And he'll break down the characteristics. And I always, I enjoy reading that stuff and going back to it. And a lot of it seems simple. And I wasn't a big believer in it when I first started doing it. But without question, uh, it can help you become a better coach. Well, Coach, that's, that's great stuff. And we're going to have some fun with these last couple of questions here. So we've already mentioned, you know, throughout this episode, uh, all of these great players that you've had a chance to coach. So if you could roll out a four-down front of your top guys, who would you take? Um, well, let's see. It would be uh, Alden Smith at one defensive end. It would be uh, Quinton Williams at one D tackle. It would be Sheldon Richardson. At the other D tackle, and it would probably be Shane Ray at the other defenseman. Wow! Now that is a uh, you could go win some ball games with those guys up front. Uh, yeah, that, that, that would be a lot of fun to coach all those guys together, no doubt. Yeah, man, I could probably get some pretty good backups in there too. <laughs> that's, uh, that's right. That's right. You know, I'm, li- I'm like living out Ziggy Hood with the first round draft pick. It's from Amarillo, Texas, and one of the best humans I've ever been around. Yeah, and obviously, was a great player and one of the toughest people I've ever been around played I think 11 years in the league and uh is humble and hardworking and all of that stuff and I, I didn't like even mention him so there's a great another great player uh, so 
Okay, now this this episode is, is going to be published on the day of the national championship, which we now know is going to be between Alabama, your old school, and Ohio right. State, uh, both traditionally really strong uh, up front. You know, um, obviously Ohio State there with Coach Larry Johnson, uh, just a you know, legendary defensive line coach. So uh, who are you taking tonight? And, and give us just kind of your breakdown of that game from a defensive line coach's perspective. Well, I think that I, I will say this, that I think that Alabama will win. I don't know what the point spread will end up being, but I think that Alabama will win because they're a complete uh, team. They have unbelievable receivers on offense. They have an, they, I know Najee and know in person how big he is and how hard he is to tackle and how hard a runner he is. Uh, and obviously, uh, the quarterback, Mac Jones, is playing fantastic for him. The offensive line, I know those kids, and I know that they're also very complete offensively. Ohio State is also a very dangerous offensive team. Uh, the defensive line for Ohio State is, is probably uh, a little bit better. The defense at Ohio State may have a little bit of an edge on the defense at Alabama at this time, but I think that with the offense that Alabama has that it'll be a high scoring game and that Alabama will probably come out on top because they're able to do some things a little bit more completely than most teams in college football. All right. Well, there you go. We'll all be watching for sure. That's going to be an intriguing matchup uh, with those two uh, explosive teams. And it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. Well, coach cool. Uh, thanks again so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your willingness to share. And good luck to you and the Rockets this offseason. And, of course, Happy New Year to you and your family. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for having me. Happy New Year. Appreciate it. Thanks once again to Coach Cool for joining us today. I learned a ton from our conversation and appreciate him taking some time to share some of his vast knowledge and insight of coaching defensive line. I've been a fan of Coach Cool's for a while now. I heard him speak at a Lone Star Clinic down here in College Station, Texas, Oh, maybe six years ago or so uh, when he was still at Missouri. Uh, and, and just remember watching tape of all those guys there at Missouri, Coney Ely, Shane Ray, and, and Michael Sam and those guys. And uh, just have a lot of respect for, for how, he, uh, how he coaches and how he handles his business. So thank you so much, Coach Cool, for joining us. As I already mentioned, you can follow Coach Cool on Twitter at Let's Meet at the QB, which has to be hands down the best handle for a defensive line coach. Uh, he's a great follow. And... You can also follow us on Twitter at KYPD Podcast. Be a lot of cool stuff on our Twitter feed this week, so make sure you check that out. Our quote of the day provided to us by Coach Cool is this. Now, this is a good one, so listen up. Let us consider the nature of true greatness in men, the people who can catch hold of men's minds and feelings and inspire them to do things bigger than themselves are the people who are remembered in history, those who stir feelings and imagination and make men struggle toward perfection. Man, love that quote, Coach. All right, well, that's a wrap on episode 88. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Join us next week for episode 89 and bring a friend along with you. Remember to check out the show notes of today's episode for the link to our merchandise store. And also, remember to go in and leave us a five-star rating and review. That really helps out our show rating. Until then, enjoy tonight's national championship. But before we get out of here, Coach Cool wants to give you one last New Year's resolution that's way more important than getting in shape or saving money. What you got for us, Coach Cool? Keep your pants down.